Hello, Bitcoiners. My name is Ansel Lindner, and this is Bitcoin and Markets. On this show, we honestly explore Bitcoin to the best of our ability. We take a look at stats, metrics, the tech, and the economics behind it all. My goal is to stay ahead of the curve and to take you along with me. Thanks for joining me. Let's go. Hello, Bitcoiners. Another week in Bitcoin land. A little bit of a slow news week, but I scrounged up a few stories for you. As well, of course, we have the metrics uh, of the Bitcoin network and all of that stuff. No big drama items this week, but you know, there. I think the quality on Bitcoin Twitter has been picking up quite a bit. And under the surface, I feel like there are some major moves happening right now. People are starting to get their strategies for the next bull market all sorted out. So it might feel like a slow news week, but I, I think there's a few things that we can pull out here. Um, what else? If you guys want to support the show, like and subscribe. <laughs> subscribe and you can uh, write a review on iTunes that helps other people find the show. I've put together a list of free ways to support the show over at bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash support. As well as, you know, the different monetary ways that you can support the show. If you want to support us on Patreon, you got to go to patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and markets. All right, let's jump into the price. So we had a little bit of a sell-off since last week. Uh, we dropped from about 9,000 down to about 7,500. So that's a nice, significant pullback. Not as much as I was expecting. Uh, I'm, you know, this, this time in the market, I think is going to be very volatile. It's going to be very volatile. Uh, Tour de Meester just had another report out. I'll link to that in the newsletter this week where, um, you know, he was saying this is the pretty much the fastest movement we've had since like 2012. And that is to me like crazy to think about. So I don't think anybody predicted that we were going to move this quickly um, up from the bottom of 3000 up all the way 3xing the price up to 9000. That's a very quick and uh, significant move. The idea that I pulled away from it, they didn't say this in the report, but um, I think we could see a smaller all time high in the near future, like before the happening, even instead of doing these uh, huge 10 X runs in the, in the price or 20 X runs in the price, we might have a simple doubling of the all time high, you know, up to say 30 or 40,000 and then have another significant pullback for six months before it really kicks in. Okay. And then we will see the, the next big leg uh, all the way up, I think up to, you know, a couple hundred thousand. So that that's interesting. That's what I took away from tours thing. But uh, anyway, let's, <laughs> let's get on with the price. So right now on Bitstamp, we have 8079, almost 8080. We're testing this 21 day moving average. We were bouncing off of that uh, all the way up on this up leg. So all the way from when we broke out of 4,000, you know, we had this huge significant green candle 
that broke through 4,200 and took us all the way up to 5,000 in one day. Um, since then, we've been above this 21-day moving average. And 21-day isn't just arbitrary. This is a significant moving average that they use in the traditional markets is the 21-day moving average. Uh, happens to be roughly a month's worth of trading, right? We've been pretty much above it except for a short stint there in, at the end of April. We did drop very slightly below this moving average, but we bounced off of it a couple times. And now with this last pullback just three days ago down to 7,500, uh, we broke through this 21-day moving average and we are bouncing off of it right now. So the 21-day moving average is sitting at 81.63. So we're $80 below it right now. And if we don't break that, if we don't break that in the next probably day or two, I'm thinking we're going to have a continued pullback. Um, there is a lot of open air below us uh, on the volume profile. We have support um, around 58, 5,900. And then, of course, all the way down back there at 4,200. Uh, so... I am expecting a pullback. For the last three months, I've been expecting this pullback. Well, not in the last three months since, let's see, all of April and basically all of May, I've been expecting a more significant pullback. I thought we might get it there uh, about May 17th when we had that epic wick uh, to the downside, uh, but that didn't materialize. We continued going north from that, and you know we seem to be running out of you know, buyer exhaustion. And I know there's this meme of stacking sats, uh, which is very, very healthy to have this strong, just buy support under the price. But I don't think that's significant enough, especially when you're talking order books and different things. You know, you can have a whale come in and dump a bunch of Bitcoins and make the price go down. So stacking sats is, is good, and it will eventually really, really pay off for the market. But uh, short term, you know, things can be very volatile. And what I'm talking about is short term over the next month or two. We're a year out from the happening now. You know, there is still a lot of time between now and then to be meandering around in a higher volatility period. But if you're going to ask me my prediction over the next day, I'm going to say slightly in the green. Uh, I think we will test that 21-day moving average today or tomorrow, and uh, we'll see where we go from there. All right, uh, let's get into difficulty. So we did have that significant difficulty increase on the last adjustment back on May 30th. We did hit an all-time high for difficulty, just barely, but we hit it. That was an 11% increase. Right now, the next difficulty adjustment is estimated to be a 4.4% increase. So very healthy. These are very healthy increases. Um, that 11% was very aggressive, but the 4% is a nice and steady increase. So that makes uh, that would make our average over the last two months, the average is above 5%. I wanted to bring in a little bit of this thought process that I've been going through on mining and fees because a lot of people are still talking about whether fees 
are going to be enough to secure the network. And, uh, you know, if, if you've been in Bitcoin a long time, you've heard people, uh, talk about it as a subsidy. Okay. They're, the block reward is a subsidy to miners and it does have this distortive effect on the market. So more investment goes into mining than otherwise would if, you know, there was only fees. They're in a little bubble of their own about mining hash rate uh, because they are getting the inflation. The inflation is entering the market at the miner. We are oversecure, almost guaranteed we're oversecured for the hash rate. So what does that mean in the future? Well, you know, once the subsidy goes down and the inflation is much lower, then there's not going to be this distortive effect on uh, investment. So right now people might be investing in miners. People might be thinking, oh, I'm going to open up a mining facility, uh, you know, with my hundred million investment instead of buying the Bitcoin. And that will go away. Or instead of even doing another business, right? Maybe making a lightning business of some sort, uh, investing it that way. They are going to invest it into mining right now because of this uh, subsidy in that industry. So in the future, when there's fees, I think price discovery is going to be a lot more efficient. And I think that, you know, there won't, it'll be generally very good for like a robust, sound Bitcoin economy. When you look at this, when you look at Bitcoin's strategy in this regard versus uh, Ethereum's, right, or some other uh, coins, uh, constant inflation, then you, you know, and you think about it in this, these bubble terms, there is a massive ongoing bubble in Ethereum in these other coins, and there's no sign of it ever stopping. So they will never have as efficient price discovery as a coin that doesn't have the inflation. Inflation hinders price discovery. So that's just another knock against Ethereum. Okay, so that was mining. Let's take a look at mempool. And I got this new link that I'm using uh, from Matt O'Dell. Pretty interesting. It's, it's mempool.space if you guys want to check it out. I'm going to the graphs section and, and it has a really nice uh, a color chart here. Over the last month, we've seen some pretty big spikes in the mempool, specifically back uh, around the 15th of May. We were pushing 45 megs in the mempool, but right now it's nice and low, no backup at all, and uh, fees are very low. All right, let's take a look at Lightning. Now with Lightning, um, I've been saying this for a while, we are in this Lightning Network plateau, uh, we've actually started slipping here. So LN Big, one of the big lightning channel operators or, or uh, liquidity operators, they have been pairing back their channels. So they famously came on the network and, and I don't know how many Bitcoins they had total on the Bitcoin, on the lightning network, but it was something like 200, right? And so they, they announced that they're pulling some of their um, Bitcoins off for different reasons, but we have seen a pretty significant pullback in the network capacity down to 950 Bitcoins. So it was above there up to 1,050 and, uh, and now it's back to 950. But the overall uh, dollar value of 
the capacity is still holding strong at $7.5 million. Number of channels, again, is down maybe because of this LN Big taking some of those their channels down. But uh, number of channels is down to 34, almost 35,000. The number of nodes is the one shining point still. It's up another 4% over the last 30 days. So that is up to 8,669. I was doing a comparison this morning between lightning nodes and ethereum apps daily active users because i think that is a pretty cool flipping i was thinking of different flippings that i could put out there so that's a really cool one uh, and it's it's not that far away i mean if we do have another spurt in growth here over from the lightning network uh, we will see a fairly significant i think increase in the number of nodes here and those the number of daily active users on Ethereum, the apps, it's consistently about between 10 and 14,000 now. Uh, so we're, we're definitely within striking distance. And that brought me to find this new report that just came out. Of course, I'll link this in the newsletter as well. It's long. It's a research article uh, by anchain.ai. And they are doing some, you know... Uh, deep dive chain analysis on uh, uh, these dApps and the specifically the daily active users and the volume uh, because you know EOS is showing all of these daily active users and all of this volume you know, almost doubling I think uh, Ethereum's stuff and they had to investigate this and what they found out that 51% of the daily active users on EOS apps are bots and then 75% of the transactions comes from bots. This is on EOS specifically, but I would think that it it you can also apply this to Ethereum. Not maybe this bad, but I would say roughly 50% of the Ethereum app users are bots, and then maybe 50% of the volume, I'm not sure, but it's somewhere probably in this ballpark because there's just no demand. And if you look at these apps especially Ethereum, but uh, all of them, EOS as well, that the top apps are gambling apps. And the, if, they, if they're labeled as games, I clicked into a couple of the games at the top of the list here, and they, you know, these were games where you gamble inside of them. <laughs> you put some ante up, and you can win prizes in this token. So it is, it's gambling. And that's, that's, so most of, I would say probably 90% of the use of these apps are gambling. And then another last 10% is going to be exchanging. So you have to do something with these silly tokens that you won. So you exchange them for Ethereum or something, right? Um, so th that is the use case here is just silly gambling. And gambling is, itself is not silly. Gambling serves a great function when it's not degen um, serves a function in society even degen gambling does because it redistributes that wealth i mean those people a lot of them are addicted or or sick you know mentally ill or something and they're they're getting taken advantage of but it still serves a redistributive effect uh, in the marketplace that's why scams i mean scams are bad and you want to try to educate people against scams but they also serve a 
fucked up market function. And that is uh, redistributing the wealth away from people that can't make good investment decisions, right? And maybe the people that scammed you out of your money, they're going to uh, better, they're going to serve a better function for the market. And here's an example. This is uh, kind of crazy, but uh, the hackers, the Bitfinex hackers, they hacked what 160,000 bitcoins uh, a couple years back. Uh, and what would those coins have done on the exchange? Yes, they would have been traded. Um, they would have been bought and sold. You know, maybe they would have been sold and the price would have dumped. Who knows? But now that the hackers got the coins and they can't move them, it takes them out of the supply. And so the, this, it, it's really weird, but the market is going to find a way to make every action beneficial in the end result. Uh, it sucks for you individually. Uh, I'm not taking anything away from that. I mean, I lost money on Bifinex, but uh, it, it sucks for the individual. But overall, for Bitcoin, I don't think it, it really sucks. I don't think there's much that can really hurt Bitcoin. Um, there's one thing I think can really slow it down. And well, two things. An attack against Bitcoin owners by the government where they equate us to drug dealers and they start rounding us up. And another one would be, which is hard to do, so they would go after whales and things. Um, the, another one is going back to a gold standard, which itself has logistical problems to get from A to B into a gold standard. So there's not much short of that that anybody can do to really hurt Bitcoin long term. So anyway, but this was an interesting thing about the bots. Um, so if you take that and you say, okay, the daily active users, even if you say 20,000 for Ethereum apps, 50% of those are bots. So it's about 10,000 and the lightning nodes are already at 8,500 and uh, getting stronger. So, uh, you know, this flipping is really cool and I hope to see it. The other flipping, of course, I'm waiting for is EOS and Ethereum. Because I think that these altcoins are going to be cannibalizing each other. And, um, you know, EOS is the new thing. There's less baggage there for spinning your memes and pumping and things like that. Where Ethereum has tons of bags now. And uh, the, the narrative around Ethereum is getting very convoluted. Uh, they're even, you know, obviously now they're going towards this sound money narrative, uh, which is funny because they don't have a monetary policy. <laughs> Their monetary policy is uh, hopefully we can design something that works. That's their monetary policy. Of course, if you can change the monetary policy to be good, you can also change it to be bad and people will not invest long-term in, into that. So anyways, that's all I got for that. What else do we have? So uh, CME, in their newsletter they put out, uh, they had a chart about their record volume. They had a record amount of volume being traded in May. So this is the average daily volume by month. Uh, went from 9,000 in April up to 13,000 in May. Before those two months, the highest month was July of 18 at 6,000. So uh, the volume on CME is definitely picking up. So then we also, they also have a chart here on the average daily open interest. For those people that are wondering, the open interest is actual contracts that are being 
held. And then the volume is like how much those, how much those contracts are being traded, right? So you might have only a hundred open interest contracts, but they're being, they're switching hands 10 times a day on average each. So you have a thousand contracts in volume interesting thing there. So there is a all-time high from May for the uh, daily open interest. And that was 4,600 contracts. Back when I started talking about this, you know, at their inception, um, yeah, I, it was always in the 2000s and now it's always in the 4,000s. So that's a good thing. It's it's growing very nicely, but the volume is definitely spiking more than the total open interest. All right, what's next? So let's take a look at stable coins because we haven't really done this very much recently. Um, of course, we had the Tether uh, whole drama that seems to be wrapping up. And uh, again, nothing is <laughs> nothing happened from it. So all of these uh, chicken littles, the, the Tether chicken littles that are always trying to FUD Tether, you know, hopefully they're taking some of their own medicine, but I'm sure it'll be around again when we when they want the market to to drop a little bit they're going to fud tether because tether is so uh used across the world for bitcoin trading arbitrage that kind of stuff. So right now tether's market cap is 3.25 billion and they had over 20 billion dollars in volume over the last 24 hours. Uh, that is incredibly high of course if you go to right now i'm looking at stablecoinindex.com but if you go to open open market cap you can look at tether and their 24-hour volume is only 900 million and that's because uh this open market cap uses these uh you know best in class exchanges uh i think only um, a handful or maybe 10 different exchanges for all of this, uh, the most well-respected ones. And they usually have the ability to go with, with fiat, right, and not use Tether for some of their pairs. As an example is uh, Bitfinex. You know, they still trade against the dollar. Even though they are connected with Tether, they still do the trading uh, in dollars on the exchange. But some of these smaller fly-by-night exchanges that will have more bot volume, you know, more wash trading to pump up their volume stats and make it look like there's more volume there uh, than there is or more liquidity, they will be using Tether most likely. So this looks like about 18 or $19 billion worth of Tether volume is on these wash trading type platforms. It's not any better for Bitcoin, and maybe slightly better because the volume statistics on, say, coin market cap will say uh, 21 or so billion dollars worth of volume for Bitcoin, and this openmarketcap.com has it at 1.8 billion. So it is in the same ballpark, but Bitcoin is significantly higher uh, than Tether. But if you look at Tether, it is the second highest volume out of any altcoin. Um, Ethereum on this open market cap only has 384 million. Uh, XRP, sorry, Ripple only has 284 million. Uh, Bcash, 100 million. 
EOS 150 million. So yeah, this Tether is by far the second best altcoin. I don't really want to go into that, but one thing there has been news about this global coin. <laughs> I just laugh every time I say that name because it's so like Orwellian, you know, or uh, it just is a horrible, horrible choice for a name. They should have called it uh, something else, even like bucks would have been better than uh <laughs> than global coin uh, what what are you going to call it? what's the unit going to be globes or coins or what it, it's just weird anyway um global coin came out there this stable coin by facebook it is going to be a basket of currencies backing it up um my thought on the basket of currencies is how are they going to keep that peg because um if say somebody in europe wants to stake a bunch of euros um how do they keep that basket balanced right if the ba if the basket is dollars euro yen and maybe like pesos or or something else right then or pounds i guess then um you how are you going to keep that basket balanced if someone wants to put in a hundred million, a uh, hundred million euros? It, it's, I don't know how that's going to work yet. Uh, I, I mean, the good thing about it is going to be the issuance. It's not going to be like an airdrop, like printing money. So that's a good thing. But the mechanics here are going to be, I think, very hard for them. I, I, it's going to be much harder for them to keep the peg than tether that's for damn sure another thing about this facebook global coin was that they're going to have a federated type network blockchain thing that is uh, going to cost about 10 million dollars for a node <laughs> they understand i think that private blockchains and these blockchains don't really have much uh, usefulness um, i don't know they're maybe they're trying to say like this one part of this technology we think is useful and we're going to go that way i i really wish i could uh, sit in on some of those meetings where uh, zuckerberg signed off on this you know and what the pitch was that he received um, i don't think this is zuckerberg's idea um, but it's also funny to think about Winklevoss versus Zuckerberg. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's kind of funny. I'm going to wrap it up here, guys. Thank you for joining me. Kind of a slow week in, in Bitcoin land, but it was fun. I'm, I'm writing a piece on the culture wars in Bitcoin. So be looking out for that over the next few days. Hopefully I get out next week. Jeez. Uh, I'm also working on a Q&A episode and we recorded a really, really fun banter episode on Wednesday night, and that will hopefully be edited and up within a week, and you guys are going to like it because, uh, I, I don't know, th this was one of the more fun banter episodes, and they, those are the funnest ones for me to do. You'll, I hope you guys will really like that one. Be watching out for that. And also sign up for the report. It comes out every Friday. That's my weekly free newsletter. That's it. We'll see you next week. To the moon. To the moon.